0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Jude chapter 1. I'm going to read two different uh, scriptures here. Jude chapter 1, starting at verse 3, says this. It says, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world today where this very situation is happening right now. This scripture is talking about the word that was delivered unto the saints, the, the very message that was given at the day of Pentecost, the, the, the message that Christ gave the apostles, the message that Christ gave Paul when he knocked him off the horse and spoke to him and drawed, drew him from Saul to Paul. And, and was delivering this word of faith and this message that we saw realized in the book of Acts in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and so on. But it's saying that there are men that were crept in unaware as people who did not want that be, to be the way it should go. They were ungodly men, ordained to another condemnation. They had one particular way. They had already defiled the law. They had already supposedly begun to live by the law and taught the law, but in fact were defying the law and tried to, to continue to defy what, what Jesus had brought in the message that he brought of salvation. I want to talk to you today about defining salvation. I think it's important that we understand and we know in our hearts the specifics to be sure and to be solid and to be rock solid on what we understand the definition of salvation to be. I'm going to go on to Ephesians chapter 4 and then I'll have you be seated. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6, many of you know it so well. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, That ye walk worthy of vocation, wherein ye are called. This is the same thing we're reading in Jude. This specific calling, this common salvation, this message that was given unto the original saints, unto the apostles. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, We are the body of Christ in all facets, in all ways, in all passages, in all stripes of life, however you want to look at it. We are one body. And there is one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. There's that word again. In verse 5, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, and there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all. And in you all, you can be seated this morning. As I said, we live in a world that's very similar to what was, what was being read in the book of Jude. A world that said that we've got, we've got other ways that we want to do this. We don't want to be offended by by our thoughts and the way that we think that this thing should go, the defining of salvation, it's all over the place. Mankind from the very beginning began to insert his ways and his thoughts and his ideas, take sections of the word of God and and make doctrine out of it, and we split our ways out because we thought we knew better. This man thought this way and this man thought this way, and, and on throughout history, you all know what I'm talking about. But see, God gave us one book, one book of instructions, one manual, do you know that this is the same? What I'm holding in my hands is the King James Version of the Holy Bible. It's the same Bible you could walk into just about any denominal Christian church in, in the United States of America, and they will be holding this exact Bible. How is it that we've gotten so far into so many different denominations and factions and, and, and all these different structures, and yet we still hold the same manual? Have you ever worked on a car reading from a manual? There's one way to fix that transmission. You can't take a piece out of the, out of the wheel assembly and stick it in the transmission and make, and make it work. It doesn't go that way. There's a manual that shows you how to fix that. There's a manual that gives you that method. Well, this manual are called testaments. Jesus, God's testament to us, his instructions, his manual. I've heard it many times over life that B-I-B-L-E stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. It's salvation of what we're talking about. It's, it, it's the very essence of what Jesus came for. And yet somehow we struggle and we fuss and we fight with one another on something that's really very simple. It's in the Word. Unless someone's modified it, unless someone's rewritten it, it's all here. And I've read several versions. I've read the NIV version of the Bible and the NLT and the ESV and so on and so on. And it's all there. But man has made the decision to modify it, or to subjugate it, or to contain it, or compartmentalize what they think is the right way. And I seek this, and have sought it in the 37 years that I've been in church, to always make sure, always define, am I following what God's given us? Am I exhaustive in the word? Are we doing everything we can according to the instruction manual we were given, in order to make sure we're doing his will, that we've found that salvation, that we've defined that salvation. Now, before anybody gets a little uncomfortable in their seat, I'm not here to tell you today that this one church or this one organization has the be-all and end-all and the ownership of everything that's going to heaven. That's not at all. So if the enemy's in here and he's starting to creep into your ear and tell you, okay, here comes a big slanted message from somebody who thinks they've got it all and they own it all, that's wrong in Jesus' name. I'm talking about the word of God, the word of God. It's defined in the manual that we've been given. And I want to talk to you today about defining salvation. Now, I'm speaking to the choir in a lot of cases in this this group, right? And I know there may be some guests in the house today. But I think it's important, just as important it is for us to share it with everybody we can share it with, because that was Jesus' command before he went on to be sacrificed and died. His command to us was to share this message, was to continuously repeat it. Go ye into all the world, preaching the gospel. But I think it's important for us as we move further and further in our growth and the growth of this church and the direction that God is taking us, you have got to have this rock solid in your heart and your mind 100%. As God presents opportunity to, to reach those that desperately need us, to reach those that desperately need God in his life, I think it's more and more important now that we have a rock-solid grip and a hold on this message than ever before. I really firmly believe that. I talked a lot last week about the specifics of baptism. I'm not going to repeat my message from last week. This is really more a continuation and on into uh, uh, something very specific. But if we look at the ways the world is defined things, There are places that say that you just have to believe and you're saved, okay? And there'll be someone in the room that that maybe believes that or maybe that's the way they were brought up. And, and I want to tell you that today that believing is an important part of that process, absolutely. And people earnestly and dearly from their hearts believe that. They were taught that. And they know I believe God and I believed and, 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 and I know that he's God and so therefore I'm good. Some people say that you have to believe and be baptized. Some people say, I've talked to people, wonderful, just gentle, terrific, terrific, wonderful people that have said, well, you just have to be a good person. If you're a good person and you do good things, well, everything will work out and you'll be Okay. One man told me, he said, I don't go to church, I just commune with God in my garden and I'm a good person. We know that people say, there's, there's phraseology and I'm not mocking anybody, I'm just simply saying that this is a methodology, that some are taught that if you simply just accept God into your heart, you accept him, you go through that repentance process and you accept him in your heart, that's salvation. You're all good, everything's all done. And those people are sincere and they're wonderful and, and maybe, maybe some of you were at that place at one point in your life. And so we have to appreciate and love people for their desperate attempt and, and, and desire to please God and to do well and to seek him, but we have to understand there's stuff between these two black covers that are very specific to this process and we can't be ashamed or unabashed. We've got to begin, be, get, begin to get bold in understanding. You can embrace people and you can love people and you can be kind and gentle with them and simply just share the word hey, you know something, I was where you were at one point. As a matter of fact, something I say to people all the time when I speak to them is I say, you know what, everybody, everybody is at a different place, a different level, a different spot in their walk with God, and we're all seeking to continue to learn. Is that right? Is that a good idea? And almost 100% of the time they say, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good to continue to learn and keep growing and raising and learning more. And my next question is, so if I could show you something, if I could share with you something that might just add just a little bit more From the word of God that you didn't know before, would that be of interest to you? Wouldn't it be important? And many times I've had people say, well, yeah, if I'm missing something, buddy, let me know. Now, many of you heard me talk about this in the past, that in in the approach that I've taken, and I've I've met lots and lots of people. I've met all kinds of people from different, different faith backgrounds and leadership from other churches, and they're wonderful people, and I enjoy their fellowship. But every single time that I've encountered someone who wanted to share something back with me, without fail, 100% of the time, when they wanted to say, Here's where I think you're wrong, here's where I, I want to show you what, I'm, what I live by and what I've been learned and what I've been taught, every single time, without fail, they wanted to take something away from what I was doing. This is my litmus test, folks. This is the standard. I'm waiting. God, send me the person who can show me something I'm not doing according to the word to please you and to be a part of your salvation. And in 37 years, 100% of the time, not one person has ever added to what I have been taught and raised in, studying the word of God. They've always wanted to take something away. You don't need to do that. Oh, that's not necessary anymore. Oh, that's for the old days. That was back in the time of the apostles, etc., etc. Well, I, I vehemently disagree. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. His message never changes. It's always been the, the word. And of course, you know from, from, from being here and teaching and understanding, there's lots of ways that we show that the salvation message began at the garden. And we can show the reflection of the salvation message from the garden through Israel and through, through the wilderness and into the tabernacle and on and on and on into modern day. Some people believe that if you just say, well, I'm a Christian, that's good. Anybody here ever been to a funeral of a Christian person that isn't going to heaven? We just say, we just say we're Christian. It's as though that their one thought, the one piece that they grabbed, this one section that made really good doctrine, made it easy, makes it all right, and they, they just lock down on that. I've talked to people in ministry, in church leadership, in, in other organizations that said, yes, I know your story, I know the part you're talking about, but it's not, it's really hard to get that across to people. It's very difficult to get that sold, makes it, makes it difficult. They know, many of them know that there's more to the story. They know to the story of, of the day of Pentecost and yet still won't. And I'm unabashed in saying this. I'm unabashed in saying that we know that from what the scripture said in Jude, we know that in modern days, of course it existed back then when that was written. Well, certainly if it existed then, it's only gotten worse now. That there are men who will purposely reduce, redact portions of the word, redact doctrine down to a small piece to make it more acceptable to the broader masses. Paul said that they would make merchandise of men. There'll be people that seek teachers having itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. And they'll heap these people together. Why? Because they fill the coffers. That's what he meant when he said that they'll make merchandise of men. So there's a business factor to this. Let's just give them an easy story. Let's just give them some things that are real simple to do. Anybody, anybody could step up at the end of the service and walk up and accept the Lord as their personal Savior. I'm just saying, folks, there is a nefarious side of this. Good people that feel they're doing good things are being led by people, as it's said in the book of Jude, and the teachings of Paul, that people will be misled. There will be false Christ. There will be things that are going to go at play to try to win people over, to reduce them to smaller portions of this to make it acceptable and thereby subdue them. You know that there are many, many ways. You can take pieces out of the Bible. There are many ways the Bible says that you're saved. Did you know that? Many different ways the Bible says you're saved. The book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 10, says that you're saved by his life, talking about Jesus. So that implies just because Jesus lived, you're saved, if you just took that scripture. The book of Romans, chapter 8 and 24, says we're saved by hope. Those exact words, it says we're saved by hope. So if you simply come to church every week and you hope everything is good, you're saved. If you just took that section. Romans 10 and 13 says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now wait a minute, if all I need is hope, then why should I call on the name of the Lord? Or if just because he lived, I'm saved, why would I need hope or to call on the name of the Lord? Depending on how you pull those things out of Scripture. 1 Peter 3 and 21 says, baptism doth also now save us. Well, wait a second. If baptism saves us, then I don't need hope and I don't need to call on the name of the Lord. Right, Brother Rob? It all kind of links together. You see where I'm going? I'm being slightly ridiculous, but you understand what I'm saying. These doctrines could easily be pulled from this. Ephesians 2 and 8. Paul told the Ephesians, by grace you're saved through faith. Well, wait a second. Grace just existed. When Jesus died on the cross, there was grace. It was given to people. So if you're saved by grace, grace exists and we're all saved. The most common approach today I mentioned earlier, and it comes from this scripture, Romans chapter 10. Boy, Romans chapter 10 is a problem issue. It really creates a lot of controversy with people. Romans 10 and 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And that's where we get that doctrine. If you confess him with your mouth, you're saved. But how come they skipped over if you're saved by his life? And how come they skipped over you're saved by hope? And how come they skipped over you're saved if you call on the name of the Lord? How come they skipped over you're saved by baptism? And how come they skipped over you're saved by grace through faith? Why is that? Well, man, God's just a terrible author. He is not a good writer. He's he just got all kinds of confusing things in here that messed everybody up. Right? He's just not very good at it. He wasn't very organized when he was helping the guys write this. No. My contention is this. It's all part of the process. you got to have hope. you got to have faith. you got to call on the name of Jesus. you got to be saved by grace. you got to accept the whole message. All the pieces come together. Why are they all there in those different pieces? Because they all count. They're all part of the deal. That's what I'm trying to get across today. And if you get this solid in your heart, if you get this understanding in your heart, and you get that person that says, Well, I know that you're saved because if you confess the Lord, you're saved. Folks, there are tens of thousands of millions of people who are taught this message and earnestly, honestly love God and believe it and want to serve Him. And they're being told that all you have to do is Romans chapter 10. Read that whole chapter. If you just read Romans chapter 10, you'll go, Holy cow, Pentecost has got it all wrong. Jesus died for no reason. I mean, it's just accept and believe and just go on your merry way. I'm not mocking those people. I want you to understand I am not criticizing those dear people. I've met many of them. They're friends of mine. Some of them were you. What I'm saying is there's more to the message. And if you get this here, if you lock this down... If he becomes part of your message, when you encounter that person, you can say, hey, look, you know what? I appreciate your love for God. I know that you're earnest, but can I just show you something? Would you be interested if I could show you a little something more in the word? Maybe you haven't seen before. So many of these people that I've encountered are wonderful people. They read the word. They listen to their pastor, but they were taught Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians. No book of Acts. You know how many people I've talked to that I've said, Well, have you ever heard of the book of Acts? No, I I don't know. My preacher doesn't preach from that. What's Acts? Well, it's right right after the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right? And they're bewildered. Why do you think that is? Because the enemy, from the very beginning, began to dissolve and dissolute and redact and just resent the word of God and change it amongst men. He got in the minds of men, brilliant men, who think they're smarter and know better. And he started from the very beginning to muddle this thing and to to change it. Folks, I want to ask you one simple question. Does it make sense that the God of the universe that created one planet and one group of people, one human being, human race, who's one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and one father of all, who's above all, through all and in you all, he's got multiple methods depending on what street you live on, what state you live in or what country you live in in order to find salvation is there any sense to that whatsoever but people believe it and they believe it earnestly there's many roads to Calvary no there's not the four Gospels, as you are very aware, are the biography of Christ and the record of his instruction for salvation. Don't forget that Christ taught the salvation message along with teaching Christian living and raising up the apostles. But it wasn't until the book of Acts, you know, the one they skipped, that little one right after the Gospels, that, it, that it, we actually see the salvation message in action. Nobody was saved prior to the book of Acts. You understand that, Right? Not under grace, not under what, God, what Jesus brought us on the, on the cross. Nobody partook of that until the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, the seven epistles after the book of Acts, written by the Apostle Paul, except for Colossians, were written to churches that were saved and established in the book of Acts. They were already saved. The Galatian church and the Philippian church was saved in Acts chapter 16. The Thessalonian church was saved in Acts 17, Corinthian church, Acts 18, the Ephesian church in Acts 19, the Roman church in Acts 28, the Colossians church received truth, but Paul never went there. But like the other epistles written to those churches, he was not writing to them on how to be saved. He was writing to them on how to live and to grow as Christians and keep saved. Look up Colossians 2 and 12. These were instructions, the churches that had already been founded and founded in the book of Acts and not just founded in the book of Acts but founded under the complete salvation message. The only place we see people being saved starting in the book of Acts and carrying on. So does it make sense to preach a Pauline epistle to an unsaved person? very good friend of mine he and his family would go out to State Fair Park and they put up this big banner and they'd find a place out in on one of the commons areas at State Fair. And it said something like, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And there was, there was blue heaven and red hell on the sign and arrows going and all this stuff. And they would stand there and they would, they would hand out tracts and they would try to talk to people, which I I commend them for their effort. Very difficult, very, very challenging thing. There's a lot of drinking that goes on there, a lot of, just a lot of rough stuff. And so, of course, they get mocked and things were thrown at them and all that kind of stuff was going on and, and they just felt that that was their ministry and they wanted to do and I remember we were at their home just before they were getting ready to leave for this and uh, uh, the wife says, uh, oh, that's right, we gotta get going. She said, I better, I better uh, study up on my Romans because they're gonna go preach to unsafe people under this banner at State Fair Park. And when she said, this many years ago, and when she said that, that was the first thought that I had in my mind, was why would you preach from the book of Romans? But Romans chapter 10, very easy. Confess the Lord and you're saved. Hey, look, we got somebody. I think it's important to point out that it's not just the apostles, it's not just the book of Acts, it's not just these guys that served Jesus that said this. Jesus himself, his very words, gave the salvation message. I don't know how we missed this. I don't know how we skipped this over. I don't know how the enemy can blind people so much to miss John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and 5 is very clear. Jesus answered and said, verily, verily. He's really emphatic when he says, verily, verily. I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is where Nicodemus, the the Jewish ruler, came to him by night. He didn't want anybody to know he was going to go see this Jesus guy, but he was curious. He wanted to know. And so he has this conversation with Jesus, and he says, well, how are are people saved? And he tells him by water and spirit. And of course, Nicodemus says, well, how can a man, when he's old, go back again into his mother's womb? Jesus was not talking about the waters of, of, of birth. Someone very dear and near to me still, to this day, preaches that that scripture talks about the waters of birth. When he clearly says, it does not say, it is not the waters of birth. They must be born of the water and the Spirit. Okay, so, to enter into the kingdom of God. Pastor Rob, can we agree together that salvation and entering into the kingdom of God are the same thing? Makes sense, right? So if Jesus himself is saying, this is what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God, I think we're talking about salvation, So how do you you come to the conclusion, how do you bring yourself to a place where you can teach a pure, decent, innocent, wonderful soul who's seeking God to say, just confess him and you're saved? When the Savior himself said there's more to it than that. You see what I mean? I told you last week, Mark 16 and 15 quotes Jesus. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So if the word says... This is Jesus' words now. I'm just telling you what the Savior said. I'm not making up doctrine. This isn't United Pentecostal Church stuff here. This is the word of God. So if the the word says, and Jesus himself said, he that believeth and is baptized, it seems to me we ought to listen to that. But how did we get to the place where people can say, well, that's not for now. That's the Savior. The Savior said it. this in your heart. Firm this up in what you stand for. Be ready to share it. That's all I'm asking. Most of you know the word baptize comes from the word baptizo, which means to dip or plunge or submerge. Baptized does not mean take a cistern of water and shoot it at people. It doesn't. I'm sorry, and I'm not mocking anyone. It just doesn't mean that. It means to submerge into water. You know where it comes from? In the, de- in the times of the Bible days in the desert, they, they didn't have refrigerators and coolers and ice that they could pull from to preserve food. So you know what they did? They took salt and they got it into brine and water and they dipped or they baptized their fruits and their vegetables in these jars of clay and protected them from rotting. They baptized their fruit. And they're vegetables. Did you know that? So when grandma cans something at home and she makes some nice jelly, those fruits have been baptized. The people that defend easy method salvation want to say that we're preaching works. You need to be aware of this now. I've heard it a million times. You're preaching works. That's works. You're trying to work your way. You're trying to create your own salvation. That's heresy. I had a guy tell me that one time. You preach heresy because you think you can make salvation happen for you. It's not works. Now, those quote Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace ye are saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It says it right there. Paul tells the Ephesians. This is a gift. You can't make it happen. You can't make God make you saved. It's a gift. But thanks to Brother John Matson, I don't know if John's here this morning, did an awesome study, opened my eyes to the book of Titus, chapter 3, 3 and 5. Listen to the difference here. Titus 3 and 5 says, This is not by works of righteousness, which we have done. And if you're a good Christian person and you're helping people and you're following the word and all that stuff, you're doing works of righteousness. You're being kind to people, you're doing the works in the church, all that stuff. Those are works of righteousness, okay, showing up here, being here today. Okay, he says, Titus says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Oh, there's another one add to the list. His mercy saved us. So we don't need hope and we don't need so on. Mercy saved us, right? No, it's part of the list. But he says, according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Okay, now listen, not by works of righteousness, that's the first part of that scripture, which we have done, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration, that's baptism, and the renewing power of the Holy Ghost, that's receiving the Holy Ghost. So you see, he differentiates, and I, John opened my eyes to this. I, I'll, I thank him, so I'll, I'll read this forever and share this. So works of righteousness are clearly, distinctively separated in those two, three sentences. Works of righteousness, nope, that's not what does it. It's his mercy by these other works. So what you have is you have two different works at play in that scripture. You have the works of righteousness and you have the works of obedience. Those do count, is what Titus is saying in 3 and 5. You following me on that? I'll go over it again. I'll go it six times if you need to. See me afterwards, I'll talk again. Not by works of righteousness we've done. That doesn't do it. It's mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So you don't just say God gives us mercy and we're saved. There's action to be done. He that believeth and is baptized. That is a work of obedience. So when you get faced with, well, works, you're you're trying to do works. You're trying to, see, this this is an old story that they bring up, they revive up because when Luther nailed the 99 thesis on the church door, what he was saying to the Catholic church at the time when he was telling them all these bad things that they're doing. They're saying, you're doing works, you're creating all these ceremonies and these steps and these processes, and that's not scriptural, that's not biblical, and he was condemning the Catholic church for trying to save people through works. And so what happens is that story got revived up and it got applied to the things that we do when we're being obedient to the word of God. When we're being obedient to the words of Jesus Christ, it says that he that believeth and is baptized. When Paul wrote that by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing power of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus appeared to the apostles before he ascended, Luke chapter 24 They'd gone to the tomb, the tomb was was empty, they were dismayed, didn't know what was going on. Later on in the chapter, verse 47, he's talking to them and he's giving them instruction. He says to them, he says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. They're quoting Jesus there, those are his words when he appeared to him. There's two different aspects in the salvation process present there. Yes, repentance. I think we can all agree. Even to the lowest forms of of twisted doctrine, they think they include the repentance factor, although I'm starting to hear that even that is being left out. If you're not comfortable, by the way, with talking to God and confessing to God your sins, that's all right, Just, just let that go. He'll know that you mean it. And then they go on into the confession or the other process. I'm reading to you from the word of God, and I am not interpreting these words. That is another common approach to defending things out of the word of God. I am not interpreting. As a matter of fact, when I gave you the the, the baptizo, that is the original Greek. That is the definition of baptism. It's not an interpretation. There's not another thing that baptism means. It doesn't also mean just talk to God and you're saved. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Okay, so we know that at the end of the four Gospels in some way, shape, or form, God sends them to Jerusalem. He tells them, okay, go to Jerusalem. You know that in the first chapter of Acts, he, there, he tells them, "Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. But he gave them the instruction there. He gave them the instruction in Mark. Ba- he, go ye into all the world, baptizing them, Right? Preached to all nations. He, just, he gave them all that instruction before he was going to be ascended and gone. But he promised them he was going to come back in the form of the Holy Ghost, in the form of the Comforter. So he told them to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where this whole thing was going to blow up. That's where it was all going to come down. It was all going to come to fruition. What I'm telling you to do with the commission that I've given you to do, to go into all the world and preach this gospel, gospel baptizing them, teaching them this message. It's going to start in Jerusalem. Remember what I said, it didn't happen anywhere else. Nobody else was saved prior to the book of Acts. Why is it, do you think, that the modern churches of America have no clue what the book of Acts says? That you'll encounter person after person after person. My pastors never preach from that. I've never heard instruction from the book of Acts. I didn't know it existed. These are all words that I have been told. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians. Always. Folks, I'm not lying to you. I'm just pointing out the observations I've had for 37 years in the church. Are we alarmed about that? Are we desperate to get that information out? Are we concerned that somebody that we love and we care for, who thus prior has not served God, is struggling, and somebody gets a hold of him and says, hey, buddy, just do this lickety-split deal here and you're saved. The people that I encounter that have lived in that lifestyle will hold to that for dear life. They will fight you. They will fight you and tell you, no, you just have to do it this way. No, that's not right. That's works. That's this. Whatever it is that they've been given to defend that position. And believe me, the people that have gathered them all together to make the merchandise, they've given them the words to defend against people like you and me. Oh yeah, oh they work real hard to make sure that none of this insidious stuff in here gets to them. In verse 49, as I said, he tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem where the preaching of salvation begins. Last week we talked about, I went right into the Acts 2.38 message and I I put a compelling offer out there For those that have not been baptized, if you've been in Bible study or if you've been seeking, I'm telling you today, this tank is warm. It's full of clean, pure water. Thank you, Brother Imel. If you have not followed this process, you are a follower of God. You're someone who dearly loves God. You want to fulfill everything that God has given for you to do. At altar call today, that That tank is open. We've got a nice little dressing room. We've got gowns. We've got people that will help you with that. And I'm going to say it again. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus, you've accepted God or you've lived a good godly life, but you have not been baptized, according to the word of God, you continue to walk this life with the sins of your past resting on your soul. If you heard the message last week, you know that the message was we have to wash that stuff away again and again and again. It talks about washing away the sins. The blood of Jesus was designed to wash away and completely remit those sins. I'm compelling anyone in this room today, if you have not partaken of the waters of baptism, please consider it today. There aren't baptism police that are going to show up and say, oh, you're doing the wrong thing. That's not right. I'll show you in the word of God and I'm going to show you right here, right now. Throughout the rest of the word, where it is recorded that people are saved, without fail, it comes with being baptized in Jesus' name. Now, this is another big issue. There's a scripture, Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus said, go ye into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And entire organizations, empires have been built on Matthew 28, 19 with people not in understanding that the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter one says that Mary was pregnant of the Holy Ghost. So if God's the Father and she's pregnant of the Holy Ghost, we got a a situation that maybe is like a Jerry Springer thing going on. Okay, I'm not getting the DNA test going. <laughs> okay, but we know Acts chapter two and 38 and 41 was the first place we saw this whole thing explode and I'm not gonna go into that all today. I, I covered it pretty thoroughly last week. Acts chapter eight and 16, that was a place that people had been baptized but they'd not received the Holy Ghost and they were challenged in Acts chapter eight. Oh, so you've been baptized? Have you received the Spirit since you've been baptized? Nope. And that happened. Acts chapter 10, 47, 48. They had received the Holy Ghost, but they hadn't been yet baptized. And so the question presented to them was oh, you've got the Holy Ghost, why weren't you baptized? And then they were baptized. Acts chapter 19, 4 and 5, four and five says believe on, they believed on Jesus and then they were baptized under command. Acts chapter 22, they were baptized in Jesus' name. Romans 6 and 3 talks about being baptized into his death. 1 Corinthians 1, 13 through 15, baptized into, into his death. Galatians 3 and 27, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. Again and again and again where this is taught throughout the New Testament from Acts going forward. They were baptized in the name of the Lord. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? Why is it so important? Why do we make such a big deal? Why not the titles? And I'll tell you why. Because Acts chapter 4 and 12, coming from an inspired Luke who is recording the words that just should echo throughout your existence, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Period. End of story. The Bible says that the power is in the name Not the titles, not the positions of Jesus. You've heard me preach before. Everywhere, and I can go back into the etymology on this, I studied it to the max. You can go out through the word of God and everywhere it says the son of man or the son of God, you can replace the word son with body or flesh. We get so hung up and so stuck on what we realize and what we recognize in our lifestyle in our construct of our living father son daughter aunt uncle all that stuff we get so fixated on that in the language used in the bible when really when you understand it and you get to the depth of those words that word son can easily be replaced with flesh or body this is my son whom i'm well pleased it's quoted to me all the time who was talking to jesus when he was getting baptized by john the baptist remember that this is my son who's well pleased God was saying, this is my body, this is my flesh. This is my plan. When he said he was well pleased, he didn't say, hey, Jesus is doing a great job. I'm really pleased in how he's doing. It's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, this is my flesh that I've given you, this is my body, and I'm in this plan. This is me. He wasn't saying he was happy about the situation. See, we just got to get to the depth of what was really said, the depth of what it really means. Encyclopedia Britannica, the 11th edition, volume 3, page 365 and 366 says this. The baptismal formula was changed from the name of Jesus Christ to the words Father, Son, and Holy Ghost by the Catholic Church in the second century. I did not make that up. That's Encyclopedia Britannica. You can go to your public library and find that volume, and that's what it will say. The canny Encyclopedia Encyclopedia of Religion, which was written and published, by the way, by traditional faith churches, says this. It says, the early church always baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus until the development of Trinity doctrine in the second century. The Council of Nicaea 325 A.D., under Emperor Constantine, created the Trinitarian Doctrine, established it as a universal standard for baptism, and it carried through on into the traditional faiths and now even forward to today. Nowhere, nowhere, in any version of the Bible I have ever written, read, including the one on my lectern here, ever shows or reflects any human being ever being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These are just facts, folks. This is not an interpretation of the word. Every scripture I gave you, every reference I've given you is found here. It can be proved right here. And the problem is, is that we're getting in a society, we're in a society like Jude talked about, where there's ungodly men who are seeking in and they're changing, they're drawing people away from this. They're interpreting this their own way or not even using it at all. And what I'm saying to you today is if you get this down, if you get this solid in your heart, be unabashed, unafraid to share it. Don't be intimidated by somebody's faith or doctrine or somebody being offended. Be kind. Be loving to people. You can share this. Let me just show you. Please, let me just take you one more step. And then have the faith that God, through your words and the spirit that's inside you, is going to plant a seed inside that heart. And maybe, just maybe, they'll receive it. 75% of the seed that is cast in the parable of the sower's fails. That's a stark revelation of that situation. There's four examples given in that parable of where the seed landed. Only 25% of the seed took hold in the heart and was successful. You can stand this morning. If you're new in the house today, if this is new information to you, if, if, you, feel, if you feel offended at what I've said I've knocked your doctor, and please forgive me. It was not my intention. I want you to understand my whole purpose and intention was just to share truth with you. I promise you it's in here. It's out of the word. Just think about it for a moment. Pray about it for a moment. And say, God, reveal this truth to me. That's all I want you to have is truth. See, I'm not trying to heap people to our church making merchandise of them. If you take this word and and I baptize you today and I never see you again, awesome. As long as you've got the truth in your heart and you're doing what's really gonna save you. That's all I care about. God will take care of the rest. I just have to preach this all the way. I have to preach this 100% all the pieces. Yes, we are saved by hope. Yes, we are saved by grace. Yes, we're saved through conviction or confession. Yes, we're saved by all those things in that list. See, it's all part of the same thing. Not just that one piece or a couple of pieces, but all of it. All of the words matter from the front cover to the back. And if we get this right here and you become a warrior for this message, I guarantee you God will put people in your path. He will put people in in your path and open doors of conversation and opportunity for you to share this. And you can be effective for the kingdom. See, here's my mission, folks, and I'm going to wrap with this. I'm, I'm done yapping. Here's my mission I'd like to take as many of you as I possibly can and make you vibrant, active, courageous warriors. For reaching your community, reaching our community. Because the pastor team can't do it all. I've got four, five, six people I'm working on right now, and I'm working, and I'm working, and I'm working, and I'm making my service. That's about all I can handle. I don't know if I can get to another one. And I'm doing my best, and I'm sharing this word. But I want to make my church a, a, a troop of warriors for the word of God. And for right now, God's got me on this hitch with evangelism with this salvation message. Not so much that I think we're going to have a massive revival of new people. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some people are going to come up today. But for you, the warriors, to get it rock solid. This altar's open this morning. Come on down. Don't hold back. Come spend a little time with God and see what he's got for you. Let's gather together like a family, as a team. If anything, just worship him this morning.